Well, good morning. Our Lord is risen. It is great to be celebrating together and knowing the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we're here together, we, uh, we are coming to the Word of God. We're going to come to the table here in just a little bit too. But if you have your Bibles, will you please turn with me to Luke chapter 22. If you don't have a Bible, there's some on the back table back there. Welcome to grab one. My name is Stephen. I'm the pastor here. We love Jesus and we love people. It's almost Easter. Isn't that weird? Man, time flying lately, isn't it? You got to love how St. Louis, too. It's frigid cold and then nice and then raining like crazy and then kind of nice again. Who knows? The Lord is good to us. Here in Luke chapter 22, Jesus is, uh, is on his way actually to the cross. And he's going to be betrayed by Judas soon. And he goes in verse 20, excuse me, verse 39, he goes to pray in the Mount of Olives. And so he brings a few people with him. He's got the disciples with him, but he takes out of the disciples a couple, three, and takes them further in. And they're in a garden together in the Garden of Gethsemane. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 22. It says this, And he came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives. And his disciples followed him. And when he came to that place, he said to them, Pray that you may not enter into temptation. And he withdrew from them about a stone's throw and knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. And there appeared to him an angel from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down to the ground. And when he rose from prayer, he came to the disciples, and he found them sleeping for sorrow. And he said to them, Why are you sleeping? Rise and pray that you may not enter into temptation. Praise the Lord for his word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are here with us. Thank you, Lord, that by your spirit you have never left us. You don't leave us. You don't forsake us. By your word, God, you are true in all the things that you've said. Thank you, Lord, that you sent your son to endure the cross for us. We're in awe when we think about all the great things that you have done Lord, the salvation that you've given us. Lord, open our minds and our hearts to receive your word deeply. Help us, Lord, to honor you in everything that we do because our heart's cry is that you would be glorified through our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. What would you say to Jesus if you were the angel? If God had dispatched you, and we're not angels, we're humans, right? But if God had dispatched you to go strengthen Jesus, he's praying, he comes down, he finds Jesus in the garden. How do you strengthen God in the garden? And he's in agony. He's asking the Father, would you let this cup pass from me? But not my will, but yours. This agony has become as great drops of blood coming down as sweat. This is not a simple task. What would you say to him? How would you strengthen him? Sometimes I think about this moment and I think about this angel and what he could possibly say and I'm reminded that he's in a garden. You know, the Bible doesn't tell us. It doesn't tell us exactly what the angel says or does. Uh, we don't know if he showed up with an iPad and he had a little video he got to watch. We don't know what happens. I don't think it's the iPad. But they're there in the context of this garden. He's a stone's throw away from the disciples who are sleeping. 
He's brought with him his closest friends to be a strength to him. He's left them a little ways off, a stone's throw. But they couldn't stay awake even to pray with him for a while. Isn't it amazing? In verse 45, we hear that they are sleeping for sorrow. Even just the weight. Have you ever been in one of those moments where it feels just weighty? Everything that you're doing feels weighty? They're sleeping for sorrow, and he says to them, why are you sleeping? What a scene. It's dramatic, isn't it? It's heavy. It's big. Here's one incredible thing that happens, though. Jesus gets through it. Jesus stands up. He walks, knowing what's going to come. And he goes from the agony of these sweats of drops of blood to moving with his face set like flint to go to the cross for us. That's incredible. Sometimes I wonder if maybe the angel asked him to look around and the Lord would say to him, look where we are right now. And they're in this garden and it's a broken garden. It's a garden that's been stained by sin. It's a garden that has thorns everywhere. It's a garden where his best friends are unable to stay awake with him. It's a garden where even just a ways off they are sleeping. And Jesus looks around, and I just like to think that he remembers the plan of what God is doing. You know, the plan sometimes keeps us moving forward. It helps us to walk through some difficult times. Will you turn with me, please, to Exodus chapter 38? Excuse me, Exodus chapter 31. Sometimes the plan really keeps us moving forward, and it's amazing to see how God uses this plan with the people as he's moving them forward. Um, I've totally lost my reference here, forgive me. I'm sorry, Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. Sometimes God uses the, the plan, the purpose that he is using to help us move forward. Exodus 31 is an amazing passage, an amazing chapter, because at this point, the people of God, the Israelites, have come out of slavery in Egypt. They've seen God's deliverance. They've seen his walking them through the desert by pillar of cloud and pillar of fire. They've seen God moving them forward. And in Exodus 31, God is giving them the understanding of how he will meet with them. And this place that he's going to meet with them is called the tabernacle. God's plan is to be with his people. He wants to be close to his people. He wants to walk with them and be close to them. This was the original intention of the garden. When God first made man, he made Adam and made Eve, and he put them in the garden, and he walked with them in Eden. He was close to them. Man fell, however, and in disobedience to God, that relationship was broken, but God's purpose, his plan, has always been walking with his people. It's always been closeness with his people. The problem, of course, is that the people don't know him. And they're not holy like he's holy. They're not walking in righteousness in all his ways and all the ways that he has prescribed. And so God is explaining to them what they should do. One way he does that is by giving them the law. 
He gives them the law as he saved them from Egypt so that they would know this is how they're to live and this is how they're to express God's character on the earth. Another way that he gives them that they can understand how to be close to him is the tabernacle. And the tabernacle is really just a very special tent, but it's uh, the precursor of the temple and it's the place where they're going to do business with God. It's the place where they can come and meet with him. It's the place where his presence will rest with his people. Now, the tabernacle is really important because as the people are getting to know God and understand him, as they're learning the law, as they're starting to apply and understand the very character of God, they're also coming before him, but they're not quite fully there. They don't understand him yet. They don't know fully what to do. And the tabernacle helps them to come into God's presence in a way that's right because God is the creator of the earth. He's over all things. He is the King of kings, the Lord of lords. He's the most holy one. And we've seen all throughout the scriptures, even up to this point, that people who are unholy cannot stand in the presence of a holy God. Literally, their bodies cannot take the holiness of God. And so the Lord and the law had given them instructions on how they could have sacrifices and, and how they could come before him. And as they're coming before him, they come through this place called the tabernacle, and it has a lot of regulations to it. It's beautiful, and it's ornate, and it's a construction. And the way the tabernacle stands gives the people this idea of how to come into God's presence and be with him. Now, as they're doing this, the way that they come before God is blood. The reason for this is when man sinned, God had told man. He told Adam in the garden and Eve, if you sin, if you disobey the things that I am commanding you, the punishment is death. So the only way to come before God to make that price paid is by blood. That's what the sacrificial system was. A lot of times we look back on this and it seems really icky to us. Um, it is icky. It was icky. It was really icky. But the people understood this, that the only way they could come before the holiness of God was by some substitute that would shed its blood for them, that they would have forgiveness of their sin and be able to come into his presence. And even this, only really once a year, one person came into the actual presence of God. This place, the tabernacle, had amazing, amazing furniture, the most ornate furniture that you've ever found. It wasn't Ikea stuff that you just stick together. It was beautiful and ornate, and it had purposes that, that demonstrated God's holiness. It demonstrated his character. It demonstrated his presence. And not only that, but God was really, truly there. The people knew this because literally a pillar of fire appeared over the tabernacle, and they knew that God was there. This is not a place that you trifle with. It's not a place that you just come into flippantly or easily. It's a place that you have to come the right way. And God is giving this guy Moses who is the deliverer of God's people, the leader of God's people that God had called. He's giving him all this instruction on exactly what the tabernacle should look like and how the people can come into his presence. Because God's plan, once again, was that he would indwell, be with the people, and live among them. But they had to come a specific way. And in Exodus 31, the Lord speaks to Moses, and here's what he says in verse 1. The Lord said to Moses, See, I have called by name Bezaliel, the son of Uri, the son of Hur from the tribe of Judah, and I have filled him with the Spirit of God, with ability and intelligence, with knowledge and all craftsmanship, to devise artistic designs, to work in gold and silver and bronze, in cutting stones for setting and in carving wood, to work in every craft. And behold, I have appointed with him Oholiab, 
the son of Ashamach, of the tribe of Dan. And I have given to these able men ability that they may have, that all that I have commanded you they may make. The tent of meeting and the ark of testimony, the mercy seat and all that is on it, and all the furnishings in the tent, the table and all its utensils, the pure lampstand with all its utensils, the altar of incense and the altar of burnt offering with all its utensils. And he goes on talking about these holy garments and all these things that he's made. I'm reading to you this passage because this is the first time in the word that we see God filling his people with his spirit. The spirit of God filling the people and anointing coming on the people to do a purpose. What is the purpose that these two men are appointed to do? They're building the tabernacle. You know, God, he really cares about how this furniture is made. It's important to him. But it's not so much the furniture itself. It's not the way that the tent is overlaid. It's not the gold that's on all these things that God really cares about. He wants those things specific, and it's going to be right. But what he cares about is this purpose of having his people come into his presence, of being with him. What he cares about is dwelling with the people. And there's a specific way to do it. And God has sent faithful builders who have been filled with his spirit and with intelligence and with abilities to be able together to build this place that will demonstrate God's glory and that will be the place where people will meet with God. That's a big task. It's a really big task. In fact, this place is so special and the, the furniture that they make is so special that there's even consequences of coming to it wrongly. You know, God had appointed even specific people who were the only people that could touch certain items in the tabernacle. On one instance, a, a, uh, they were carrying the Ark of the Covenant, which was like God's throne, and it started to wobble and fall, and a good faithful man tried to grab it and stop it, but he wasn't one of those appointed who God had said can touch the Ark of the Covenant, and he fell dead immediately. And it seemed so icky and so judicial in how God deals with us. But the reality is, how does a people who is unholy, a people who are filled with disobedience, a people who are stained in a broken world, come before the most holy God? God had prescribed a way. Not only had he prescribed a way, but he had filled people with his spirit and ability to be able to build this place where they could come. Later on, the, the tabernacle goes away. The temple is constructed. And the temple is a more permanent, actual building that's mirroring the same ideas of the tabernacle. And it's where God will meet with his people. It's where these sacrifices will happen. And it's so important because especially once a year, there had to be a sacrifice for all the people because of sin so that they could come into God's presence, so they could know his blessing. You know, we use that word a lot these days, blessing, don't we? The blessing that we're looking for. And really, most of the time, what we mean is happiness. You know, what God is looking for and what he's thinking about is the blessing of being with his people and us with him. That's really what blessing is. It's being in the presence of God. It's walking with him and knowing him. 
and the tabernacle morphs into this temple that's a permanent structure and there's still sacrifices and there's still blood and there's still ickiness and there's still only one guy who can go into the most holy part once a year to find atonement for all the people and they still see the fire over even the temple now knowing that God is there. But the temple is so beautiful and ornate and we see people filled with the spirit of God to be able to build the temple even too. But what's God about? What's his purpose? He's building a place where he can meet with his people, where he can dwell with his people. We fast forward time and we find Jesus in the garden. He's sweating drops of blood. He's agonizing in prayer and his prayer is this, Father, if there's any way, let this cup pass from me, but not my will be done, but yours. And an angel comes and strengthens him Again, it doesn't tell us exactly what the angel says, but he's standing in a garden. And I wonder if he's just reminded of the original purpose of God walking in the garden with Adam and Eve that in the cool of the day they were together. And then he remembers the second person of the Trinity. He's the same God who created the whole world. This is the same God who by his word had not only brought forth life, but also delivered his people. This is the same God who had indwelled the temple and the tabernacle. This is the same God who had received all these sacrifices to pass over the sins of the people that they might come into his presence in a very little pinprick of a way where they could hardly be with him and yet they were with him kind of. And now as a man for us, He's sweating drops of blood on the ground, agonizing because the only way that we can really be with God, the only way that we can really be in his presence is not through the tabernacle and it's not through the temple. It's only through the real sacrifice. It's only through the blood of one who could satisfy the wrath of God against sin. It's only through the blood of one whose, whose sacrifice on the cross would mean our salvation. It happens because he is the sacrifice. His blood is the satisfaction of God's justice for our sin. And so he's agonizing. What's he agonizing over? He's agonizing over this question, Lord, let this cup pass from me. The cup is not just some kind of weird drink he has to drink. It's the cup of the wrath of God that's going to be poured out on him who would become the object of sin who would become sin on our behalf. Jesus Christ, who is totally innocent, is agonizing in the garden. An angel comes to strengthen him, and he looks over, and he sees the disciples laying there a stone's throw away, and they are dead without him. They're just sleeping, but there can be no life without Jesus. It's his sacrifice. It's his life. It's his blood. It's his death that will heal the very ground he is standing on and raise the sons that he wants. So Jesus, our ultimate temple, Jesus, our true firstborn brother, Jesus, who is God himself become a man, is strengthened remembering the purpose. The purpose of why he came. The purpose why he he designed the tabernacle. The purpose why the Spirit entered people to give them ability, it was to build a place to be with God. And now as his sweat and his blood is mingling together and dropping on the ground, he stands up strengthened knowing he is the way. He's the truth. He's the life. He's the only way we would have life. 
He is the sacrifice. The very next thing that happens after he wakes up the disciples is while he's talking to them, one of his disciples who is going to betray him comes into the garden and kisses him as the symbol of betrayal. Could you imagine how your heart would sink? One of your closest friends kissing you as the sign and mark of betrayal. But this is what we've done. We've all fallen short of the glory of God. We've all spurned him back in his face. None of us have walked his way. None of us followed his laws. None of us lived up to his character. But Jesus Christ agonizing because he would have to take the cup of wrath for us sets himself with strength to walk through that betrayal, to go to the cross for us. Jesus dies on the cross. When he dies, the earth becomes dark. The, the ground shakes. The dead rise to life. Tombs are opened. The temple's curtain that separated people from the place of God's presence where he lived on the earth is torn in two pieces because Jesus Christ, God himself, takes the punishment for our sin. Even the earth couldn't handle it. He gets put into the tomb for three days and it seems like all is lost, but he rises again. He defeats sin. He defeats death. He's our champion. He's our life. He's everything. Why? Because he was true to the purpose to live here with us, to bring men to be in with God, that we could be with him, all of us, sons and daughters, in his kingdom. The kingdom of God is secured by a champion who gives up his life for us. And the kingdom of God reigns now because he lives. He reigns. We're coming to the table of the Lord. As we come to this table, we remember Jesus' death and his resurrection. We remember that he died for us, that his body was broken for us. And as we eat this bread, we remember that he was the only way, the only way that God's justice could be satisfied was by his sacrifice for us. And so as we come to this meal, we don't just eat this bread and think, oh, I'm blessed. We eat this bread and know that we are blessed to be in God's presence, to be close to him because of what Jesus did. And as we drink this wine, we remember his blood that was shed for us, which was enough to cleanse us of all unrighteousness, that if we believe in him, if we submit our lives to him, if we ask him for forgiveness, his blood is what washes us clean because his sacrifice was all we needed to be in God's presence. The Bible tells us now that he will never leave us or forsake us because that same Holy Spirit that indwelled those tabernacle builders and temple builders, builders, the same Holy Spirit that we saw at work in the world is in us. The Spirit of Christ who suffered the cross and rose again, his Spirit is in us. Why? Because he's still building. His purpose has not changed. He's building a place on earth where he can be with his people. And he's indwelled us now as builders for him. That every gifting, every ability, every talent becomes part of our life's work to glorify Jesus and to see him glorified in every aspect, in every area of our lives and everywhere we go. Everything we do becomes about seeing Jesus' kingdom birthed on earth. Jesus said it this way, when you pray, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. His first ideal 
is the glory of the Father. His second thought is that as it is there, it will be here. And he's made a people for himself that he's indwelled by his own spirit, given abilities and talents that we would be builders for him, that as it is there, as it says in here, we make it everywhere we go. It's our purpose. Will you open the bread with me? As we remember Jesus, perhaps you feel like you are in a place where you're agonizing. Maybe you feel strong. Maybe you feel great. Our life is in Jesus. His life is our life. His body broken for us is our salvation. As we take this bread, let's remember Jesus. Don't let your prayer be, Lord, fix my problems. Lord, let it be, Father, thank you for the blessing of walking with you. Let's partake of the bread together. After supper, in the same way, he took the cup and he said that this was, his, this was the cup of the new covenant in his, in his blood, that we should do this in remembrance of him. Let's partake of the cup knowing that his spirit is with us and he has washed us clean. Thank you, Lord. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord, that when we were sleeping, when we were unable because of sorrow to do anything to save ourselves, Lord, thank you that you sent your son. Thank you, Father, that you are so faithful to your covenant, to your promise, to your plan, to your way, Lord, that despite our failures, you have prevailed. Lord, thank you for Jesus' cross. Thank you for his resurrection. Thank you for life now, and thank you that your Holy Spirit is in us, that we might know you. Father, I pray that every person here would know a fresh touch of your grace today. Lord, I pray that every person watching online would know the peace of your presence, Father, the blessing of walking with you, because you've made a way that's not dependent anymore on the, on the sacrifice of bulls and goats, but, Lord, you sent your Son as the sacrifice in all these things that we might walk with you. Lord, help us, Father, in our day to see your kingdom come, your will be done, and come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We praise you, Father, and we worship you today in Jesus' name. Amen.